One, two, three. Hello, welcome to Rock the Cash Bar. I'm Ben Mowbray. And I'm Diane Gallagher. Every week we pick one song and do a deep dive into the lyrics and explain the different ways they've been interpreted. We will also discuss how the song connected to us on a personal level, focusing on all the embarrassing details. Glad to have you here. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. Did you miss us? (laughs) It's been too long. Sorry, everybody. It was supposed to be a week ago, but uh, because I am such a disorganized flake, uh, I made a liar out of Diane. I apologize. It was all my fault that we missed it. It was supposed to, we were supposed to record last week and it would still have come out today, but I'm going to try to get it out today. So it's still, we're in the right week. I can't help it. My whole life changed this summer. I, Let's I talk about it. I am i didn't really open up a business, but I, I opened up a little pop-up bar that's going to run for three months. We've been running it for three weeks now. It's a bizarre little carnival circus clown themed buffoon bar that is all absurd all the time. It's in a <laughs> tiny little closet sandwiched between two little restaurants. And I love it. <laughs> like, I love it. What does it see? Like 14 people, you said? There's 14 people around the bar. And then there's probably there's room for about five on the back bar. And then seven or eight if you want to stand up. So it's a it's a very, very small place. But it's fantastic. It's, it's what I always wanted to have. Like, I always wanted to open up a place where it's just like you you open up the door and you step into a whole new world. Like, into a world where it's like, I can't believe somebody would be dumb enough <laughs> to put something like this together. Why is this even here? <laughs> like, if you hate it, I want you walking away asking questions like that. Like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and it draws a very specific crowd. If you're not into circus clowns and stuff like that, it's not your place. But there's That's enough my people that are into it. <laughs> That's happened a few times where people kind of walk in, take a look around, just like, Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Did they walk in while Rebecca's doing handstands across? The, I saw that video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, my friend Rebecca was doing handstands in there for the last couple of nights. And, uh, <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Whenever she's doing something weird like that, I love yelling at her like across bars and rooms and everything like that. Like, you're a freak. You're not a normal person. I'm going to put you in a cage and charge people $5 to look at you. <laughs> she's, like Walking on her hands, you see her go, 10 that's awesome um yeah you got to figure out how to get her in one of those hula hoops up there or a trapeze or something oh absolutely like it's such a small space so it's like how are you going to use hula? like i want it to be a performance space but really the only thing that's going to work in there is close-up magic so we've had a close-up magician who comes in and he's fantastic like not only is he a great magician but he's got like excellent comedic timing as well like he does i don't know how to explain it without seeing it but he'll he'll do a trick and it's a fine magic trick and everybody will do a round of applause and then he'll do a much better trick as if he's just throwing it aside oh (laughs) nice like he'll get his round of applause and then he'll do something that's just fucking stunning and act like nothing at all happened and everybody's (laughs) looking at him you are the devil (laughs) means satan (laughs) <laughs> oh I, I love i love uh when i say i love magic i mean i love magic tricks i and i love the smoke and mirrors i because whenever like you get to find out how it's done you're just like that's genius that is yeah. genius i love it it's the work that they put in that i that i love the most you know like like that's what when i think of my my days is trying to be a, a stand-up comic 
I didn't work as hard at it as I should have. <laughs> <laughs> like I live with Greg Warren, who's been a guest on the show you know, a couple of times now. That guy works all damn day. Right. Like he'll have an idea for a bit and that's what he's grinding on all freaking day long. That's why it's so detailed. That's why he's thought everything out. I never did that. Yeah. These magicians, like he must spend thousands of hours in front of his bathroom mirror. Thousands of hours. You gotta get a loved that one hand. banging on the door. Like, what are you doing in there? You're wasting your time. <laughs> the, the, the sleight of hand, I mean, and I am clumsy and I have little short fat fingers and I just realized what you have to be able to do on some of these card tricks. I'm like, I can't, I, I'll never be able to do that. It's, a, it's amazing. I have a friend who unfortunately he moved to Oakland Oklahoma, like right around the time I was opening up this bar, I was like, he does stilt walking, he does fire juggling, he does actual juggling, he does trapeze. He does. I was like, I want you in the bar at all times. Like, well, I'd love to, but I'm in Oklahoma. I'm like, you motherfucker. But, well, but don't just to... go for the magic. Go for I, I visited Ben yesterday uh, when uh, non-operating hours where he was just unwrapping one sour gumball at a time or candy. <laughs> <laughs> So can infuse gin, I guess, gin infused yep. candy, where I was like, Ben, can I help you? And you're like, no, it's far too sticky. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, like, yeah, that's just lazy bartending. Like, do you want to come in here and unwrap all of these double bubbles? Do you? Do you? It takes <laughs> I hours. Do. I love lazy. mindless you work. He's stupid, but not lazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, it's been so much fun. Like I was really surprised. Like obviously my, my, my real fear was that it was just going to blow up in my face that people are just going to think this is stupid and nobody would ever come in, but it's the reaction to it has been exactly what I want. Like people are walking in and going, this is absurd. This is juvenile. It's dumb. And I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've promoted it enough on, you know, our social media, but tell everybody where it is and what it's called. It's called St. Julian's Social Club. It's at 1617 Richmond, and it's uh, right next to the Toasted Coconut. Yay! And it looks like I'm going to have to keep my trashy carny mustache until the end of October. <laughs> I don't get to turn into human form for another two and a half months. I want you to twirl it, at least. Like, do something fun. Oh, I can't stop twirling it. I can't stop twirling it and tugging it. No, I want to get, like, a mini curling iron in there and give it, like, a... A piggy tail, you know. And yeah, I need a I need a proper mustache. I'm like I always tell people, it's just like I'm like a guy with like a Harley Davidson in the garage that he doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> I've got this mustache on my face that I cannot control. <laughs> the symbol of masculinity that I have no right to. <laughs> Does it get? I mean, I don't. I'm so dumb. I mean, guys have long beards everywhere. I'm like, can you even eat soup? <laughs> like, it's just gonna no, drip in there. I I haven't eaten in public in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm in a restaurant, I'm like, I, I'm in the furthest, like most private corner I could possibly get to because it's just, a, it's an ugly, ugly mess. But <laughs> my mustache knows how to do things you shouldn't even know how to do anymore. Uh, this mustache can land a hot air balloon behind Stonewall Jackson's battle lines. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> my favorite thing is when people are just like, that looks really wild west. You look like Sam Elliott. You look like Doc Holliday. I'm just like, oh no, oh no, no. This mustache wants to take over the Suez. <laughs> This is a much more evil mustache. <laughs> this is a dictator mustache. Mm -hmm. This mustache has plans for the nation of Borneo. <laughs> I wear these like stupid spectacles and I'm behind the bar at my bar and one guy walked in and he just goes, I think Sherlock Holmes is looking for you. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> How was your summer? What have you been up to? It, well, it's hot and busy. It, it was just, I, I needed a summer to be with my kid. He, you know, he had a lot of camps, but we also did, you know, some light traveling and 
we did a lot of water parks. His new thing is um, water slides. And sure. I'm not going to lie, Ben, I'm 45 years old and I like a water slide. <laughs> I love water slides. I it's, went to a water park a couple of years ago. Like, like I was like 37 or 38. I was just like, no, this is just as much fun as it was when I was nine years old. You can't be in a bad mood flying down a water slide. I, mean, I like the lazy tube ones. Uh, I like mm -hmm. the scary ones that have a drop. You're like, this is ridiculous. I don't have a seatbelt. Like it is a drop. And mm -hmm. uh, the one where you lay on the mat on your belly and it just does this. Uh, yeah. We did one out on Splashway in Hallettsville. And the more you weigh, the more adult you are, the faster it is, the more you catch air. And uh, the yep. kids are like, you race and like the adults just fly past those kids. And uh, Joe Cowan was with us and he went before I did. And he was like, I caught some serious air. He goes like, I came off that slide so far I could see the road <laughs> in the truck. <laughs> And then it took the wind out of him when he hit. And I was like, ha ha, you. And then it happened to me. And I was like, Hurrah! like I hit. I was like, oh <laughs> but um, it was a, it was a blast. Like I was really having fun with Charlie. I was like really excited to do it all. There's a great little, uh, it's, it's, it's a great little pool bar in, in Houston called El Segundo. I think it's only open on Saturdays and Sundays, but it's a great big pool and, and, and a, a fancy bar and everything like that. And you can sun yourself, but they don't allow kids in here. It's the only criticism I have of the place. And I'm probably, their clientele would hugely, hugely disagree with me, but it was just like, this is not fun if there aren't kids around. Oh, you don't think so? Yeah, because like, like they're having the time of their life, and it reminds you that like that you can still have that. Like you go to you go to this place, and it's like it kind of weirdly feels like is there is a swingers party about to break out? It's, yeah, <laughs> like we're all checking out each other's partners and girlfriends, and uh -huh. like we're looking at each other's butts, and it just feels kind of like like it's it's sexy for sure, but it also has it feels a little gross. And it's like let's just let kids in here, let's bring a little bit of the innocence back, and yeah. we can slyly look at each other's pinker parts. Yeah. <laughs> So we went the last weekend before school started last weekend, we went to Margaritaville in uh, mm -hmm. like Conroe and um, they have like a kid's section. And then like they have one section that's for adults only, but the main big pool that has a swim up bar, kids are allowed in it. And so we didn't spend time in that pool, but I was watching these adults just in that swim up bar also with their kids, throwing their kids in the water, like getting drunk, throwing their kids in the water all day. And I was like, <laughs> what I'm not seeing is people constantly getting out to go pee. And I was like, yeah. it's just all pee. It's all beer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just got to live with it. It's all right. When I think back of the, like the lakes that I used to swim in when I was a kid, like it doesn't bother me at all. Like I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not even, I, I'd hate to be that gross, but I, it doesn't even you concern You can't me. think about it. And what yes, my brain does yeah, my, mm. my brain does is there's chlorine in it that's killing. And I've always been told that pee is sterile. You're not getting mm. like diseases and bacteria from someone else's pee. Do I want it in my mouth? No, I don't open my mouth over underwater. But, <laughs> uh, and I'm not drinking anything, but uh, the head stays above water. But yeah, I was just like, the amount of beer and drinks people were drinking in that pool all day. I'm like, I'm not seeing constant, like, let me get out and go pee. It's just pee <laughs> pee. Just be people. <laughs> well, we're back at the cash bar yes. with a long delayed episode on Little Richard. I'm always amazed when we do somebody like like I mean, there's nobody like Little Richard, but you know, you do like somebody who's like a, like an app like a, a totem of America. Like somebody like like Little Richard is almost like he's weird. He's like he's like old faithful. He's like Yellowstone National Park. He's like the coast of California. Like he's just a thing that feels like he's always been here. 
but then you read about his life or you watch documentaries about him and you realize like, no, there's a moment where he realized his gifts, where he realized his faults. There's a moment where he's introduced to the world. There's, there's a moment where he makes his grand entrance and you can't, I don't think there's anything that's, that's relatable to me. Like I think of, of, of Nirvana and grunge as being like the, the great sort of musical revolution of, of my day. Cause that happened when I was 11 or 12. Like right. I can't imagine what rock and roll must've been like, like here's little Richard, here's Elvis Presley, here's Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, here's like, all of it like in jam packed, like into just a couple of years is crazy to me. And you're really talking about more than just the invention of rock and roll. You're, you're kind of talking about the, the invention of the idea of American teenagers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sort of like the time in our life that we all romanticize and lionize and look back on. Like, there's a reason why we make all of these teenage movies. There's a reason why all the horror movies are about killing teenagers. It's because that's where we meet the world. Yeah. The idea that somebody could, somebody like Little Richard, could come along and go, "This is what it is, kids." (laughs) It's funny you said there's no one like Little Richard, and I'm like, well, to argue that everyone has tried to be little Richard. He inspired everyone. He inspired the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, uh, Dylan, um, uh, you know, later on uh, Bowie and Prince. And um, I uh, said that Prince is a complete original and obviously he is, but you read about little Richard and you're just like, Oh, nope. He definitely, (laughs) that's where the And and says he did. David Bowie went Mm -hmm. to his uh, producer with an album with little Richard album. It's like, I want my next album to be this. I want it to sound like this. And it did. Mm -hmm. And they are all very open about it. And, uh, what I love, and we can get into it more later, is Little Richard was very aware of it and was very vocal about it and just just could not stop talking about wanting his dues um, to yeah. be the real king of rock and roll and to not have money later is, it would have pissed me off too. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's no doubt that he squandered a whole hell of a lot of money. Like, like he was, it's, it's that weird sort of thing where he's getting the credit from like, like make your decision. Like you can have the love and eternal respect, admiration and, and, and what's it like imitation of Mick Jagger and Bowie and Prince and all of these Titans, but you don't get the money, make your choice. Like, how's that for a Sophie's choice? Like, I really don't know what I would do. Like, I honestly, I don't know. Like, do I have enough money to live on? Do I have a nice house? Am I okay? I just don't get the fantastic riches. Well, there was also like weird details, like he bailed out of his contract at 18 months on a three-year contract. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was written in the rules, like you don't get the royalties if you do that. So, you know, there's some, some, you know, blame on his side, but also those contracts back then were criminal and um, they knew he wasn't reading that fine print most, most likely, you know, but um I do want to mention this is a Patreon episode. I'm so sorry. Corbin's dad drew this and he was mm-hmm. he was one of our most devout listeners. And when we decided like we're going to take a summer break, it was right before his episode. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So this is Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a Patreon episode for everybody. If you haven't joined our Patreon, it's $5 a month. And thank you so much for the support. And once a month, we will draw a name from that box and then we get to cover a song that you choose. So this is for Charlie. Mm-hmm. I want bobaloo bop, I want bamboo. Sorry, I had to get that out of the way. I had to do that. Ben, Ben, can yeah. we get this out of the way? We're going to talk about Lucille. Uh-huh. But okay, I'm going to, like, like you said, Little Richard's been a, 
staple of American music history my whole life. I never paid a lot of attention. He was the flamboyant, crazy little Richard, uh, who wasn't little, by the way, when he grew up, he was almost like six feet tall. Um, Mm -hmm. But I knew the songs Tutti Frutti, Lucille, everything, but Tutti Frutti, I never listened to the lyrics. I knew nothing mm-hmm. about it. I knew Tutti Frutti, old Rudy. I, yep. And to say that I'm dumb for not knowing the origins of the song, is it because of, for lack of paying attention? I just, I never read the lyrics and I didn't know yep. what the original lyrics were about until because yesterday. Because when you hear it, it's innocent and it's fun. And all you're reacting to is the innocence and the fun. You know, yeah. like this this idea that, that his sexuality is dangerous is only something that comes after and it only comes when people are putting like their own morality on top of it like tutti frutti is just fun the original lyrics were tutti frutti good booty good booty (laughs) and they're talking about if it don't fit you can grease it up it's about booty sex (laughs) damn right it is (laughs) and they're you know the people were like we love it it's a great tune you can't put it out there with those lyrics so let's clean it up a little bit How old, like, I, I I don't know when the idea that Little Richard was queer came into my life. Like, it was certainly long after Little Richard did. Like, I remember I had, I, I had, we had, like, my mom was trying to teach me piano when I was, like, eight years old. And we had, like, the rock and roll hits. So we were playing Elvis and Little Richard tunes and everything like that. Never occurred to me. Like, it just, it's just not something that you would, you would even think about. It's so re- funny because I'm the mm-hmm. same way. He was just flamboyant in the same way. I grew up with hair metal bands, Motley Crue, mm-hmm. like everybody looked like a woman and yeah. that didn't immediately mean homosexual to me. So I think growing up, Little Richard was just another rock star. I mean, David mm-hmm. Bowie, Prince, I mean, everything. And it's so it didn't hit me until later in life. I'm like, no, he's actually very, very gay. It was very out and openly gay the whole time. Yep. Yeah, I remember when I, when I was uh, when I was young, like 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 you think of like 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 Boy George coming out, Elton John coming out. You know, like those were those were big moments. So like these are your first, or at least in my mind, or for, for my generation, like these are your first gay celebrities. These are yeah. the first people who are being out and proud. It didn't occur to me that that Little Richard, because they wouldn't even print it. You know, like like if he would was would, like if you gave an interview in the fifties or sixties and said like I like men, I'm gay, they're not going to print that. Like, well, I've he, seen. Where they did talk about it openly back then on a lot of shows. And I was surprising where like I think about everything being so conservative and like, no, we can't talk about it back then. But some of them did. They just didn't yeah. care. And just to great. think about how, how dangerous it was for that guy back then to just be himself is amazing. Like you think of it like the guts that it takes to get on stage and be as flamboyant and as uninhibited as he is. Like it's not it's not just the fear of failure or the fear of embarrassing yourself in front of a crowd. It's like he could be hurt or killed. Like it was yeah. very likely that he would be hurt or killed. You know, yeah. to be to be a black performer that uninhibited is dangerous enough. To be a black queer performer in that yep. like fucking forget about it. I mean the, I mean that's mm-hmm. I just know I, I could never like I would have been mm-hmm. so terrified. There's so many things stacked against you, but like that just shows the content of his character and his spirit could not be caged. It just refused. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to talk about the through line through all this is how insanely religious he was, though, and how close to mm-hmm. God and Jesus he was and how it was a constant back and forth like. Jesus made me this way, love me the way I am, love everybody this way to renouncing being gay and getting scared and then flipping back and flipping back. I mean, it was just, it makes me so sad for him, this constant struggle of like, am I comfortable with my queerness or am I not? And Mm -hmm. 
I well, hated, he was living I hated in a world that gave him no, no room to be comfortable with his, with his queerness. Like he was, yeah. he was basically the only queer celebrity that was out there at that time. Yeah. You know, like obviously he was moving through gay communities that, that gave him love and support, but the wider world, like absolutely not. It was, it was wholly verboten for him to talk about what it was. That he well, did. even his own mental struggle, you talk about doing these orgies and then pulling out his Bible the next morning. It's like, he was at odds with himself with it, you know? And, but we'll, we'll get into that. What's funny is that we're doing Lucille. That's relatable too like if, if, i mean i mean if you're married but there's definitely been times where like like i'll go do something with somebody and they're like immediately like ah, how are you feeling <laughs> i need to go to church yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on you're like it's fine everybody's doing this stuff like yeah. <laughs> don't be so hard on yourself <laughs> i'm just saying um, so i think i understand that back and forth a I've, little bit I think everybody does. He had an added layer of like being gay in the fifties, but yeah, it, it was definitely a through line through his whole life. And it was, it was crazy. The back and forth guilt that he had with it and visions mm. that he would see and how far he would go like flamboyantly gay. And then like renouncing his gayness on TV and then back to it. And I'm just like, Oh, mm. the poor struggle going on in this guy's mind. Yep. And just to bring it around to the problems of today, little Richard, former drag performer. All yes. Right. You don't yes. like drag shows, you don't get Little Richard. All right. Yep. You don't like drag, you don't get rock and roll. Okay. You don't, you don't get it. Like the, the, the Metallica that you love, the Led Zeppelin that you love, whatever it is that you're into while hating drag, it doesn't happen without drag. Rock yes. and roll comes from drag because and rock and roll comes from Little Richard. How boring are you to not like drag? How boring boring are you i cannot wrap my head around it <laughs> it is never not a great time <laughs> also like, having, like like telling on yourself are you just like i just don't like the sexually explicit like nobody's going to a drag show to get turned on <laughs> no, it's, joy. it's pure fun it is fun it's not i mean a strip club, a real normal women naked strip club is depressing and sleazy. Drag it, grandma can go. It's a good time. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. I was really surprised to learn that. Like little Richard was, he wasn't, he wasn't that old when he hit it big. Like 1955, 56 was the big year for him. He, re he releases Tutti Frutti and Tutti Frutti goes absolutely nuclear and almost immediately gets stolen by Pat Boone. Yeah. And that's all. But up until then, like his life was one of desperation. L Little Richard was born. Richard Penniman. Penniman. Not Penniman. Pennyman. Not Pennyman. Pennyman. You got to say it right. He changed his name to Little Richard because he got sick of being called Pennyman. Yeah. He was one of 12 children. And I think probably like a lot of queer kids at that time and probably like a lot of queer kids anyway, like, like mom and dad are probably the first, like before you even understand you're gay, mom and dad understand that yeah. you're gay yeah. and how mom and dad react is really going to affect your life. Well, little Richard's dad was among many things, as many things. He was a deacon in a church. He was a bootlegger and he was a bar owner. So his own father had that dichotomy going on in his head where I want to be a man of God, but I'm obviously, I'm selling booze. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm living the sort of this debauched sort of life. His dad was really down on little Richard for being effeminate and, and being gay. You know, I think little Richard, little Richard's father accused him of being gay when he was very young. Like he kicked him out of the house when he was 13. So like around the time he was probably starting to have his first sexual thoughts, his dad recognizes that he's gay, accuses him of it, and immediately starts punishing him for it. Like little Richard's dad used to beat him quite severely. And the only 
you know, place where he found any kind of solace was in church, but of course it's his dad's church. So that's where he discovers that he has this golden voice that he can fill up a room. He gets his, he discovers his love of performing. It's not long after he gets thrown out uh, and he ends up living with a, with a white couple who own a gay bar called, uh, I think it was called Anna's TikTok. Anna's TikTok. Something TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. And this is Macon, Georgia. Like this is a small town in the South. So like, if you think that, that gay people are new, homosexuality is new or LGBTQ issues are new, there was a gay bar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There was a gay bar in Macon, Georgia in 1955 in the early fifties. Like that community has always been there. And that's where little Richard kind of feels received. That's where he starts performing in drag. He meets a, uh, he meets a, a performer who went by the name of Escurita, who teaches him, you know, how to sing, how to perform, how to apply makeup, and how to basically hold the stage and hold himself and hold his strange sexuality. The sexuality has caused him so much trouble and so much pain. It teaches him that, like, that there, this is normal. Like you're, you're, but and then somehow from there, he's able to gather that strength to take it to the mainstream and show it to all of us. Yeah. It's still to me that innate, like what, how early do you cross that line into, I don't care. Cause most adults need to go through adulthood and like, I don't know, sometimes in their midlife crisis, they're like, all right, I can't hold it back anymore. This is who I am. Like he did it yeah. right away. He's like, I don't care. I, I wonder if the, 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 the horrible childhood that he had, you know, in a perverse way sort of gave him that strength. Like there yeah. must've been something in his head just going, what are you going to do to me that my dad didn't mm. already do like yeah. he beat the shit out of me threw me out of the house what are you gonna do yeah 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 so yeah he was doing like drag before he became famous and god what i would give i mean i saw some pictures oh by the way anybody who wants to go dive in there's a documentary that came out this year it came out in january of this year uh called i am everything and it's the documentary mm. of his life and i think it did show a couple pictures of him doing drag in that club um yeah but, uh it's a great documentary i learned I, I read an interview with the director of that documentary and she said something that i thought was just incredible she was just like it was during the pandemic you know uh, uh, little richard had, had passed away early in the pandemic uh bone cancer not not yeah. uh, not related to covid but <laughs> his music was everywhere and everybody was, was memorializing him. And so she was like, I wanted to watch a little Richard documentary. And I looked around and there wasn't one. Yeah. So I made one. Yeah. Like, there you go. Talk about looking for a gap in the market. Like, yeah. holy crap, nice work. And how do was it? I mean, that's such a, it's a through line through this whole thing of like him not getting the recognition he deserved as the, what is it? The originator, the innovator, the architect. And the he architect was, yeah. <laughs> he really <laughs> was. And it really started getting me upset that he he definitely even elvis went and pulled him aside and was like make no i mean you are the king of rock and roll you always will be like they can call elvis the king of rock and roll but elvis knew it was little richard everybody knew it was little richard and yet somehow his name does not come up as the king of rock and roll as it should Mm -hmm. though it's kind of amazing to me how like 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 i listened to lucille a couple of times over this, this, this past couple of weeks and you realize that that music hasn't changed at all like it's all right there, you know, from from the get go. Like all of these guys that we think of as the, as these incredibly original artists and everything, and they certainly are. But they're still playing off of the same template that Little Richard and Elvis and these guys created. Like they're, yeah. they're not. All they've done is learn how to do what he did and then do it their own way. Like there, there's, yeah, no one has and, smashed the mirror and recreated the genre ever. Like if you think that they have, nobody has. They haven't, and yeah, the. Yeah, they've talked about that, this formula that was created by those original, like, kings of rock and roll, both 
the black and gospel roots and then the white guys that would take it. And it was, there's a weird thing about that. Like we get upset about it and I get upset about it. But at the time, little Richard was not mad that Pat Boone took his song and did it on white radio. He's like, he's just pushing my product. And that's good because, you know, eventually, because there used to be black radio and white radio and black DJs play black music, white DJs play white music. And then I already forgot the name. There was this one famous white DJ that was like, screw that and started playing black music, uh, getting mm-hmm. it into the white teenagers ears. Um, but it, it's I understand when it's upsetting to the black community knowing that Elvis got famous from doing black music. We talked about that in the Elvis episode. And then, you know, Pat Boone and all these other people making black music popular, even the Beatles and uh, Rolling Stones. But when you go back to their time, these guys loved each other, the black guys and the white Mm -hmm. musicians. They were genuine friends and loved each other. Does it still always kind of like Chuck Berry was mad his whole life about, you know, white people like taking the music and becoming more famous. But there was more of a camaraderie between the white and black ones back then, but I get it. And to this day, I still get like a little upset when I see like, for instance, who is the white country singer that has made fast car famous again? Oh uh, yeah. I get it. The name's not going to occur to me, but yeah. He does a great job. Mm. He he does a straight cover. He doesn't change anything, but it's just a, Mm. a white country guy doing it. And, but to my core, I know there's people out there that are hearing that for the first time thinking he wrote it and that it's his. Yeah. And I want mm-hmm. to be like, in every performance, he needs to say Tracy Chapman's name. He needs to say yeah. it <laughs> to Absolutely. so people know. There was a there was an article, I think the Washington Post publicly, obviously there was a bit of a fervor about that. And somebody had written an article saying that that this guy is enjoying a success as a white male country artist, that that Tracy Chapman, a black queer uh, folk singer wouldn't have had the blowback to that article. The, the argument from the hammerheads were just like Tracy Chapman's fast car was a huge, big hit. Massive. And it was, yeah, like, it was a massive, massive hit. Like you're right about that. So like, like to, 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 but I think with the person who originally wrote that article, what that argument is, it's like, it's just, it's a uncomfortable to watch a white guy at my age sing about black queer pain. You know, like, it's just, it just, there's just something about that that's just like, we should talk about this, shouldn't we? Like, I'm not saying it's wrong. Like, like it's a beautiful song. You know, if I could play Fast Car, I would absolutely play Fast Car at you, Diane. I would play Fast Car on my guitar at you. <laughs> it's like, you just know it. I mean, it's just, it's not that he's stealing. I mean, this is what music is. We sample, we cover, we take. It's been going on since the beginning but it's just you want to make sure every new person that's hearing it knows who the original was and understands how great it was and it didn't even need to be covered again. <laughs> it knows where it comes from. Like, like and that's that's what we're doing. That's what I did with Little Richard. Like I said, Little Richard has just sort of always been there. And Little Richard, like, because he's all, like, I remember, like I say, like I learned when, when playing the piano, I learned about Little Richard. Like you would see, you'd hear Tutti Frutti from the time you were four or five years old. Like it's just something that's always been there. I've never really considered the man himself. And when you do it, I, like it, it just, it just smacks my gob. You know, it just, it just, I don't, I don't know how to, how to explain the, 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 the shock of it. I can't imagine the shock of experiencing little Richard for the first time in 1955. Just like, what is that? What the hell is this? The energy, the flamboyance, he gave permission to every rock star from then on out mm. to go ape shit <laughs> because yeah. they were so restrained and conserved and non ape shit before him. And he kicked open that door. It's like, nah, go, go. Yeah. Nuts. It's way better. 
and to come like to literally come from from nothing so so little richard's father throws him out of the house at, at 13 and he falls in with this couple this white couple take him under their wing probably because they own a gay club they probably recognize that he's a young gay man so they take him into their community they would be accused of grooming him today, even though they're caring for him, even though they're showing him that there is a place where he could be accepted. They would be accused of grooming because people oh, are fucking monsters. I hate that word. I mean, that yeah. word has an appropriate setting. Trust me when they're, I mean, I know the right way to use grooming, but that wouldn't be yeah. it. Yeah, but I mean, let's be clear, heterosexual. If there's grooming going on in the world, it's heterosexuals that are doing it. Like, it's a, it's a, whatever. That's an argument that you know it in your heart. <laughs> Search your black little heart. But so uh, he, he he lives with this white couple, and they 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 encourage his his musicality, and they teach him teach him instruments and things like that. His father dies. His father gets murdered. Uh, there's an argument in the bar that is that his dad owns, and his dad responds with a gun, and the details are. Or sketchy, but Little Richard's father ends up dead. Uh, Little Richard has eleven siblings, you know, a great big family, so he's got to to do what he can to take care of them. So he takes a job dishwashing at a bus station in Macon, Georgia, and he says that listening to the buses and listening to the trains that would that would go by his house that taught him rhythm, like that taught him, like like mm -hmm. this is what it this is what this is a drum line. That's what it should sound like. So he says that he wrote Tutti Fruity washing dishes, just, yeah. just being frustrated in the bus station and just a womp, bop, a loo, bop, a womp, bam, boom was the tension release of having to support his family and just being a dirt poor queer kid <laughs> washing awesome. dishes. Like, that's really and, that, and that's why it works as such a catharsis for all of us, because like it, it's in that little artist's brain, that was the release valve and, and it works for everyone. Yeah. It's really cool. It's amazing to think about, and that's the thing that, that that absolutely launches him. It launches him right alongside Elvis. He has in the next two years, he has a couple of big hits, and he never breaks the top ten ever again. Like he never comes back. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that mm -hmm. Tina Turner moment where it's like, and I'm back on the charts. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't have that world conquering thing. He just ha he has right. that that heyday that influences everybody else, and yep. the rest of the time it's just like like he's going back and forth between being a preacher and being a rock star. Yeah, I He's love the Beatles open for Little Richard in Hamburg. There's this great when you watch that documentary, like he was playing and they were like, there's this group of boys that wants to meet you so bad. And they were not they were nobody. They weren't the Beatles yeah. yet. And there's this great picture where they're all they're so obsessed with Little Richard. They love him so much. And like they're all kind of holding his hand in this photo. And then he lets them open for him. And he's the one that kind of coached Paul McCartney into how to do his scream. Um, mm -hmm. They were obsessed with him. They loved him. I didn't know James Brown got his career started doing little Richard impressions. Yep. That which is so like, funny. I didn't, I didn't know it either, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like, I oh, know. That's absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody was obsessed with him. Like, and then the same thing with Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. Um, mm -hmm. They were all his babies. It's amazing to think about. It's absolutely incredible. And, and, and uh, Jimi Hendrix played in Little Richard's band. Jimi Hendrix was Little Richard's guitar player. And oh, did Little Richard have a crush on our boy Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a crush on our boy Jimmy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> I would think that there, there's no doubt that uh, that Little Richard would, he'd get canceled today. You can't get away with what Little Richard was doing. But he was a, 
he was apparently like like really like we would pursue Jimmy like pretty yeah. pretty heavily. Yeah. yeah. I was reading yeah. on that on that documentary, another guy in his band, they were just talking about like the amount of um sex happening when they were on tour. I mean, little mm. Richard just openly talked about just orgies, everybody, men, yeah. women, everything. And then one of his band members who was a straight guy who just openly was like, I slept with over 1400 women. I'm like, Oh, Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> how physically, how <laughs> impressive. Wild Yikes tour. and good for you, sir. My <laughs> compliments. A tip of the hat. Holy <laughs> moly. Okay. <laughs> I tip my hat to your slap and tickle, sir. Well done. Um, mm. Yeah. So I was reading about, I guess, I guess little Richard, because there's, there's many salacious details about little Richard's sex life. And I was reading something that said that he was, he didn't really like, he would participate in the orgies that he organized, but they said that he was more of a watcher, that he was more of a voyeur. Okay. And I wonder because obviously like, like sex is, is largely about a power exchange psychologically. Like, I wonder if the dichotomy that was going on in his mind, you know, between the, like the guilt he was feeling and the unacceptance that he was feeling. I wonder if by watching other people and or kind of like making other people do it, if there's part of his brain that was looking at it, just like, see, you do it too. You do it too. You have the same desires I do. Like he's, he's like, he's just at gave once him a little call. himself and showing others. Just like, it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just giving you guys a safe space to be who you yeah. be right now. And it's also like in the same way that I wonder if, if, if like, obviously like like black musicians are saying that they you know they love the Beatles and they love the Rolling Stones and the camaraderie that you're talking about. But I do wonder if guys like Little Richard felt like this is the portal, this is the doorway that I have to pass through. Like if I'm going to be accepted in white society, I need famous whites to to vouch for me Maybe. you know i wonder if I, like I'm, I'm sure they absolutely hated thinking that but i do i mean they would have to right i mean, I mean they have I to. Off an old white guy rant here i don't think so i mean he talked about like when he started wearing like a lot of the makeup the very skin lightening makeup he had to wear when he played all white venues to make them mm -hmm. feel a little bit more at ease with him being a black man up there playing so he like almost mm -hmm. like whited himself with the amount of makeup that he was putting on so I mean I think and it was I, just survival instincts of wanting to make it back then. You just kind of had to play the game. Yeah, yeah. You just said it was a go along to get along thing. Yeah, ugliness everywhere. I imagine that I didn't get to see the documentary, but I imagine that they showed his famous speech in like 1985 at the Grammy Awards. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Did you see it? That was incredible. I watched that. Last With Buster week. Poindexter next to him. Yes. Yeah. Holy crap! So he's at the Grammy Awards and he's presenting Best New Artist. <laughs> yeah. And he opens up, and of course, it's Little Richard, so everybody gives him a round of applause, and he's up there with uh, with Poindexter, who's from, remind me of the band that he was from. Do you remember? I always forget his real name, too. I can't remember either. But <laughs> so it's Little Richard, and he's, he's, he's playing it up for the cameras, he's hamming it up, and he opens up the envelope, he goes, and the winner is me. And he gets a good laugh, and then he just starts digging deeper, and he can be like, he's kidding at first, but then you can see that he's absolutely not kidding but he ends up saying things like you guys never gave me any credit whatsoever i invented this mm -hmm. <laughs> and eventually he gets a huge big ovation he gets he gets the recognition that he deserves if there's a little richard biopic that's probably going to be the climax of it you know when he finally gets the you know he, he gets the recognition he deserves because he stood there and fucking demanded it he did mm -hmm. and you know it some people could see that and think that he's being like you know kanye or a diva but like little richard 
had it coming. His dues needed to be paid. And eventually it does. I think the climax is in 1993. They did right by him and gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award. And when he went up there to get it, he wasn't doing the little Richard, like, I'm half really pissed off. I'm half like, shut up, you know, like trying Mm. to, you know, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. I'm furious, but I'm kidding. Still like me. He just gets up there and starts crying. He's bawling. Mm. And one of his bandmates is in the back and he's bawling because they all we're like, finally, finally, I'm recognized. There, He's being recognized. And then he's in the first group of guys that gets inducted into the first Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And what's so mm. sad about that is he didn't get to be there for the ceremony because he gets in a car wreck. Um, oh, pretty bad that. one. Yeah, it's really yeah. upsetting. He finally gets to get up there and be presented as one of the original kings of rock and roll and he can't be there. Mm-hmm. He And I don't even think that was, you know, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He, he was tired and he fell asleep at the wheel is the story and like uh, pretty he, serious car wreck. He, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Maybe you should do more cocaine, not fall asleep at the wheel. Maybe that's <laughs> the answer. Maybe a thousand dollars a day in cocaine is not enough sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're, we haven't even gotten into the lyrics, but Lucille, I mean, there's not much there. And, uh, but in, uh, yeah. we will just talking about his life. There's, I had this like loose timeline when I was watching that, um, documentary where like drag shows, uh, flame, flamboyant sex, Bible and religion through line, uh, the flight to Australia where he, it was, I guess, a the flight got crazy and he had this vision where he was seeing like, flames come out of the engine and he thought angels were holding it up. And then once he's on the ground, he looked up and saw like a fireball in the sky and his brain just turned it into Jesus doesn't like what you're doing. I just saved your life. You need to renounce all this bad shit you're doing. And that's when he was like, I'm not doing rock and roll anymore. I'm going back to Jesus. And he started doing gospel and he was like on a ferry with his bandmates. And they were like, so really, you're going to give up this whole lifestyle? Prove it. Take your rings and throw them in the ocean. And he did. Took off all of his rings, threw them in the ocean. And then he did. He went and did a gospel album and went on talk shows and renounced his gayness. And then mm-hmm. then he comes back, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, he's back again. And he's playing boy again. It was always like this back and forth. But um, I can't remember what year it was where he started really getting into. He's like drugs, uh, cocaine, PCP, heroin, everything. And yeah. then his brother died of a drug overdose mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh boom right back to renouncing back to god again this is the wrong thing to do um start selling bibles but he's not making any money and that's when he really starts getting like hey you know david bowie print all these people have emulated me everyone's famous why i'm over here selling bibles broke and this mm-hmm. is when he really started getting ranty about like i need my respects like, mm-hmm. why am I over here broke when yeah. I invented all this? Yeah, I deserve it. I earned it. I'm the architect. I made this. You, yeah. you're, all, you're all swimming in my wake. Yeah. I'm literally right now as we're recording, I'm staring at two. I have posters all over my podcast room. And the two biggest posters across from me is David Bowie and Prince. And I'm like, mm-hmm. those posters wouldn't be on my wall if it wasn't for Little Richard. Not the way they look exactly. in these pictures, you know? Mm-hmm. It's incredible to think about. It's absolutely incredible to think about. And it's like, it sounds so extreme, you know, like the idea of like throwing your rings into the, into the water and renouncing your rock and roll lifestyle. Like, like okay, well, it, that is extreme, but it's also extremely relatable. Like there's been plenty of times in my life where I've turned around and saw my shadow and gone, I have got to fix that. Like, yeah. I have got to get away. You know? And it's a very, and, it's a very Peter Pan thing. 
Well, you see it a lot. There's a lot of people, and this is a big personality trait where people are all or nothing. They It's really hard for some people to live in the middle and find compromise within themselves. You see this a lot mm. with addicts. It's either all I can, I drink till I throw up or I don't mm. drink at all. I can't find that middle ground. And you see it in other ways with addiction, like working out. It's either I work out and eat super, super healthy or I eat fast food every single day, every meal. I mean, like some people cannot live in the middle. They have to do these extremes. And I think he struggled with that. It's either I'm flamboyant, rock, orgy, sex, or I am giving my life to God. And he was trying to find that place where he could do both all the time. And it's just Mm -hmm. like he couldn't get there. He struggled. I think that's the that's the human struggle is like finding that balance. Like we're we're all walking a tightrope. We're all on a fence. Like you have to you have to walk that line. People are starting themselves too. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're gonna fall off. Like it's gonna yeah. happen, and you just and you just have to get back up and keep and keep walking. Like it happens to everybody. You got to understand it. You can't be too hard on yourself, and yeah. you can't stay down. Like you just you have to keep moving, and you can see that in Little Richard. Like the way that he vacillates is very very relatable to me like yeah. I, I read a whole bunch of articles just like this man is just a mystery and enigma like do you think so do you think so like there's nothing that you're struggling with like how do you not relate to this man's story he's just the big shining spotlight on what we all are and are we're just mm-hmm. hiding it because we're not famous like we all have mm-hmm. these struggles or he's like mine's all out here for you all mm-hmm. of you to see this is all yeah, of and, you yeah you get to see it because the cameras are pointed at me we haven't even done the lyrics this is lucille by little richard <laughs> Now he specifically says about this song that it, that it came from the from the trains that would roll by yes. his house. Like that, that's where the that's where the rhythm came from. And he said that that's even where the the lyrics come from because the the first lyric. Lucy, you won't do your sister's Lucy, you won't do your sister's She ran Lucille, won't you do your sister's will? He sort of said, like, well, it's sort of nonsensical. Like, I was just doing it just to, to, to make sure that, that it fits into the rhythm. But isn't that what a queer man would say in 1957? I think it probably is. <laughs> I, I think when, uh, I'm telling Lucille, you, I couldn't. Sister's will, I think it's, I really do think it's self-referential. I really do think he's, he's referring to himself as sister. I think it's a, it's a way of acknowledging his perceived femininity. Okay, I like that because reading the lyrics to the, and I couldn't find any, any, you know, mm. research on like what this actually meant. Um, mm. that people had like, well, maybe it was this, maybe Lucille could have represented this, but he's just like, I liked the way it sounded. I liked the, you know, Lucille, a lot of his songs had girl names. Um, mm. there isn't a whole lot of philosophical breakdown in this song. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I like what you're saying of like, you know, probably a little deeper connecting to his effeminate side, but, um, mm. Most of the song is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. It really is. You ran off and married. I love you still. Yeah. Lucy, please come back where she belongs. Lucy, please come back where she belongs. Be good to you, baby. Lucille, please come back where you belong. Oh, oh, Lucille, please come back where you belong. I've been good to you, baby. Please don't leave me alone. I guess it's, yeah. the, it's the birth of rock and roll. Like this is it's literally Lucille is the is every love song that's ever been written. Hey, yeah. where are you going? Come on back. Yeah. Don't be with another person. Be with me. Yeah. Don't go breaking my heart. Don't let the yeah. sun go down on me. You know, yep. like yep. all of that is, is right there. 
uh, wild horses. Like it, it's all, it's, it's every bit of it. I woke up this morning, Lucille was not in sight. I asked my friends about her, but all they looked was tight. Lucille, please come back where she belongs. up this morning lucille was not in sight i asked her friends about her but all their lips were tight <laughs> and we all know over. we all saw what lucille was doing but we're not gonna hurt you with it <laughs> <laughs> lucille please come back where you belong i've been good to you baby please don't leave me alone and there's another repeat of i woke up this morning lucille was not in sight lucille please come back where you belong i've been good to you baby please don't leave me alone Lucille, baby, satisfy my heart. I played for it, baby, and gave you such a wonderful start. I love the way that it ends because it's like it is like the rock and roll thing. Like Lucille, baby, satisfy my heart. I played for it, baby. Like that's what yeah. you know. When you're a performer, you're you're demanding the audience's love. You know, like like you're 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 hoping to generate a level. You're hoping to entertain them, but you're also like you're begging for their love, and that's what he's done here. Like I played for it. Yeah. You see what I can do? Do you see what I'm capable of? You see what I can do to that room? I played it for you, baby. Yeah. Come on, Lucille. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, that's such a, every dude can, every dude, every girl can connect to that song when, you know, you love someone so much, you've done so much for them and they're doing stuff with other people. You're like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm the one who's doing the hard work to love you. Don't just do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking to that guy for? I'm the one who pays the bills around here. It gets abusive pretty quickly. It's romantic and longing <laughs> to start off with. And, and there's, it can go off into some dark woods pretty quickly. I mean, I, I don't want to say you're my property, but come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to say you're my property, but a couple of generations of rock stars down the line are definitely going to say that. <laughs> that is a thing that will happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's I, a little richer, man. Like, it I, is. I think, that, like, in a nutshell, like, like it's it's hard for me to to fathom the courage that it takes to just to just for that guy to exist, even if he wasn't famous, even if he wasn't selling all of these records, just to be who he is, to be where he's from, was a major challenge to him and millions of people like him. You know, the fact that he was able to rise to the fore and show people like it's okay, it's all right, if I can do it, you can do it. Like, it you know, it yeah. does get better. We have fabulous, flamboyant rock and roll because of him. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, I want to go and like tell all the stories from the uh, documentary that I watched, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you guys to go watch it. You can get like $3 Mm -hmm. to rent on Amazon and you can rent it on Apple TV. It's called I Am Everything. Um, Go watch it. It's incredibly, it's really well done. And these great stories about like, he had to follow Janis Joplin at some concert where there was a large lineup and Janis Joplin uh, passed out on stage and they were like, how the fuck are you going to top that? And so mm. he was like, go to the car and get my mirror suit. <laughs> it was like the suit that's covered in mirrors. And he stood uh-huh. in the spotlight and spun and just sparkled and then just did Little Richard and topped her. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, he's just like, nah, you, you, I'm the star. I am the one. 
that's a great like mantra to have in your head. Like, go get your mirror suit. How are we going to get through this? Go get your mirror suit. <laughs> and there's this great and guy. Courage. <laughs> there you go. There's this great guy in the documentary, and I never caught his name, um, but he had this one line I just wanted to say that was so true, is that Little Richard was very good at liberating other people through his example, but not good at liberating himself. And he yeah, was totally, I don't think he could ever forgive himself. Like, no. I, I think he was, he was fine, but he just, he just couldn't do it. Like, his and, constant and, message I, to everyone was be yourself, be your beautiful self. God made you the way you are. You're like Lady Gaga, like born this way, yeah. go be it. But then his own internal struggle, he couldn't do it for himself. Yeah. Which is, which is heartbreaking. And you, is. you can see why, you know, like when you, when you, your, your first brush with your, with like, literally you, you could definitely see a world where that guy's first brush with sex and sexuality is his father's fists. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, that is going to scar you. Like, yeah. absolutely. It's going to be, like, All right. Well, uh, welcome back, Jeremy. Let's see how I've seen it, but let's see how Jeremy yeah. uh, connects little Richard to the clash. This is going to be yeah. fun. <laughs> hey friends, welcome back to another edition of six degrees after a nice summer break. This week, we're going to take the long way as we connect the clash to little Richard. One of the few who can claim to be a true originator of rock and roll. There are a lot of on-ramps we could follow to connect the former Richard Pennyman, but for our purposes, let's focus on a guest spot he did on 1998's Pee Wee Herman's Christmas Special. Hey, it's Little Richard on ice! <laughs> Hi there, Richard! How's it going? Hi, Pee Wee! Woo! <laughs> Great gosh almighty! Paul Rubens, the man who embodied Pee-wee, had a separate acting career, including a role as coke-dealing hairdresser Derek Farreel in the movie Blow, alongside Johnny Depp. Depp, who had a separate career acting like a musician, has been convincing enough in the role to play alongside such artists as Shane McGowan, who featured Jack Sparrow playing, quote, weird guitar noises on the song That Woman's Got Me Drinking on McGowan's first solo album. McGowan, of course, came to prominence as the singer of the Pogues, who would eventually replace him in 1991 with Joe Strummer, the lead singer of The Clash. So this week, we went Little Richard to Pee Wee Herman to Johnny Depp to The Pogues to The Clash. Au revoir, Pee Wee. Back to Diane. <laughs> Au revoir, Pee Wee. Au revoir, Pee Wee. I didn't. I need to go back and watch Pee Wee's Playhouse again because I have like, the whole DVD in, set. I have all of it. Really? Yeah. I gotta bother. I gotta. I have to borrow it from you because I was like, I didn't. I didn't watch Pee Wee's Playhouse until I was like a little too, a little too old for it. So I was kind of like, I don't. I didn't really get it, and it, I was both too old for the show as it's aimed at kids and too young to understand the aspects that were aimed at adults. Like, I really want to go back and watch it again because after the passing of Paul Rubens, like I read like all of the really sort of, uh, uh, all of the things that he did in TV's playoffs that I never noticed. <laughs> so we bought the whole disc set when Charlie was little. Cause we're like, he gotta you gotta grow up with some peewee's playhouse yeah. and, uh, we need it's all, it's all at the ranch now i don't even have a way to play cds now or uh, yeah. dvds and uh it it's so great it's so creative and it's so fun i love peewee's playhouse but charlie has always watched peewee's big adventure that movie yeah. charlie has loved large marge since he was two <laughs> mm. yeah <laughs> But, you know, here's another thing I just want to talk about, like, people we lost while we were on summer break. And the biggest one for me was uh, Sinead O'Connor. Like, yeah, that one hit me. I loved her. I loved her. I, I, 
I connected with so many of her songs and uh, that one really, really broke my heart. I don't know if they've ever mm. come out and said like exactly what happened, but I know she had just lost her son and mm-hmm. um, she, I mean, she was always so, I mean, every mother loves her son, but she talked about her son a lot. And I think like she probably just died of a fucking broken heart and it breaks my yeah. heart. Yeah. And that, that can, that can happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that there's no doubt that that sort of thing can happen. I think looking back on it's hard to talk about Sinead O'Connor without talking about the the, the Saturday Night Live incident. Yeah. But just like how completely wrong we were as a culture that like we, we like obviously what she did was 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 brazen and open to to misinterpretation. And like I don't mean to to criticize her, but like 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 yeah, ripping off a pope on Saturday Night Live in 1991 that is definitely going to get attention. Yeah. Uh, but we. Didn't resp- we didn't give her a chance to explain what she had done or why she had done it? Yeah. And obviously, in years since, like we can we can clearly see you know what was happening and what she. In was, years since, we've seen it happen over and over and over. All these damn priests mm-hmm. molesting little boys. Like, come the fuck mm-hmm. on! Like the the response the culture had to her back then. I guess I'm just trying to remember what it was like during that time. It was just shocking to tear up a picture of the Pope. And nowadays mm-hmm. we're like, it's a photo. He's fine. And yeah. you missed the point. Like mm-hmm. we should have been rallying behind her the whole time. No one should be for the molestation of little boys by anyone. Yeah. And we should also like, if we can, if we can talk about queerness and, and homosexuality publicly and honestly, and we all have a lot of you, if you're not gay, then you've got a lot to learn about it. And like, like I, I do for sure. Sure. But obviously what was happening with, with, with the Catholic Church was just very much like little Richard's father being the first to recognize, like, my son is gay and reacting the way he did. There are so many people who, when they recognize homosexuality in their young male children, it's just like, well, you're a man of God. Like, you have to, you have to renounce your sexuality and go join the church. And so yeah. all of that stifling, like, that's what leads to this, this ugliness. You know, it's not... Yeah. It's not homosexuality that does it. It's the repressing of homosexuality. It's the repressing of your city. Anybody who represses their sexuality is going, is headed for trouble. When society like suffocates your eunus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to come out maybe in a dark way. Like, let yes. people be who they are and this shit won't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's the message of Little Richard. That's Little Richard. That Could be Little Richard. We, we little Richard. Um, we little Richard. Mm. All right. We get to do a Patreon drawing. Haven't done it in a while. So thank you, Charlie Gallagher. Uh, thank you for giving us an awesome one. Next month, September Patreon. Who do we got here? Virginia Jackson. I haven't seen her name in here mm-hmm. in a long time. I can't remember what song she gave us last time. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I think she was one of the earliest names drawn. So Virginia, I will let you know and start thinking about a song for September um do you have a deep cut i do i don't know how deep it is it might be one of their most popular songs but i'd never heard of the dresden dolls until pretty recently okay and they have a song called point operated boy that i've been addicted to for the last week what is the name i don't have a pet it's called coin operated boy like I've, I've been running my little carnival theme bar so i've been trying to put together a weird you know playlist i've got like 12 and a half hours of it's a mix of like the you know the kind of like the pop music that i like but it's also really dramatic sexy cabaret music and a lot of like like eartha kit and dinah shore and those like sort of like supper club kind of kind of songs but i wanted to, to be like really like you know live showy and performing somehow or another that led me to the to the dresden dolls and the song called coin operated boy that i've been pretty obsessed with for about a week it's 
it's just so cute. It's just like I don't, I don't even know what, what instrument it is that they're playing, but it's just this this, this very cute woman's voice is going coin operated boy, and it, and it just like it just runs through my head all day long, and I enjoy it. I probably got like two more days of enjoying it before I'm just like, okay, now it's a worm, and I gotta I gotta expel it. But okay, awesome. I'll play a clip of that right here. Coin operated boy sitting on the shelf. He is just a toy, but I turn him on, and he comes to life. Automatic joy. That is why I want a coin operated boy. <laughs> excited um yeah dresden dolls i've known about my whole life never listened to them mm. so i'm excited yeah. to go find that and listen now <laughs> mine isn't so much a deep cut it just came out i just found it fascinating so apparently there was this like show with a big lineup and uh the foo fighters were on stage and rick astley had also been on this lineup at this i don't know if it's a festival or whatever and dave Grohl calls him up on stage and none of this is rehearsed and has him they do an impromptu smells like teen spirit never going to give you up mashup where he's singing never going to give you up over the music of smells like teen spirit and they just do it on the spot and it works kind of That's fantastic. And thank you, Dave Grohl, for trying to give us Rick Astley back. It's a <laughs> shame what you assholes did to Rick Astley. You're <laughs> lucky he ever performed for you. Leave Rick Astley alone, you bastards. <laughs> you said that was the first cassette tape you ever bought? It was, yep. Yeah, it absolutely was. Like I, I, I absolutely love Rick Astley. I think that came out when I was eight or nine years old. It was, yeah, it was I remember the great. big thing with Rick Astley is everyone, he sounds black. Everyone thought he was black. And then you see him and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> He's this incredibly pasty English boy. Yeah. Yes. Great voice. Wonderful voice. And he has, he's had a resurgence lately. Like my kid is obsessed with Rick Rolling. My kid yeah. is singing Never Gonna Give You Up in his final show in his, the group that he's in at School of Rock. He's about to move up a level. And mm. he, he uh, lobbied to have them play Never Gonna Give You Up so he could sing it. So he's going to. Yeah, <laughs> We're getting to the point, like we play, we play Rick Astley's album at uh, like in full, like on vinyl at, uh, at a restaurant that I work at. And we do it unironically. Like there are nice. people who think like, are you Rick Rolling? Absolutely not. Listen to it. <laughs> Great song. We love it. It will get you rocking and he will never let you down. No. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Next week. Uh, oh, let me say real fast. We say so, we're recording this on a Monday. I'm going to, I'm going to edit it today. I'm going to get it out as soon as possible. Um, but we will have a new schedule of release starting next week. Um, I just don't want to worry about this on the weekends. I'm busy. So we're going to record on Tuesdays and then release on Fridays starting next time, next week. Um, so, you know, I was thinking, I listen to a lot of podcasts and they always drop Monday, Tuesday, 
or Wednesday. And then I get upset at the end of the week because I'm out of podcasts. Like there's no new podcast. So we mm-hmm. are going to be the podcast that gives you something on Fridays. So we'll after be your this weekend week, buddies. Yeah. After this week, our new podcast will drop on Fridays. Um, so next week, it's my turn to pick. And I've been wanting to do this song for a long time. I love it. It's from the 80s. The band is called The The. Uh, the song is called This Is The Day. This is the day your life will surely change. just a really lovely uplifting song and it's on the latest guardians of the galaxy three soundtrack which made me like super super excited because i love it every time i hear it in the wild um so that's what we're gonna do next week love it looking forward to it are you ready you ready and shut up shut up Rock the Cash Bar is produced by Diane Gallagher. Music by Chuck Savage and Eddie Hawkins. Special thank you to Jeremy Essig for Six Degrees and to Sarah Wessling for the guilty pleasures of vocals. Our website is rockthecashbarpodcast.com and there you can find links to our Spotify playlist and to our Patreon. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week.